mentally yours from Ellen and Yvette. Uh, focus on your mental health, you surely won't regret. It's mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. Hi everyone and welcome to Mentally Yours, Metro.co.uk's weekly mental health podcast. I'm Yvette and today I'm chatting to Julia Samuel, MBE. She's a psychotherapist, paediatric counsellor and author, as well as a speaker. We're going to be chatting about how to talk to children about death and bereavement. So what children need is the same truth as everybody around them in very kind of straightforward language. So with the the death of the Queen, they need to know that the Queen has died, um, that she was 96 years old, so she lived a long life and she had a peaceful death. And that what they may not know what death is. And so you could say to a child, um, when someone dies, it looks like they're asleep but they're not asleep because their heart doesn't work and they don't breathe anymore and they um, are not alive anymore. So that children begin to understand that death is irreversible. And I think the main, you know, children learn these things kind of incrementally over time. And one of the things is to ask them, you know, what are your worries? And they might say, does that mean grandpa or grandma's going to die or are you going to die? So the answer is yes, you know, we are all going to die, but we hope to live, you know, for a long time. Mm. And why is this, why might this be a confusing time for children? I'm sort of thinking about maybe some of the language people use around death that's maybe a a little bit confusing. Exactly. People use terms like, well, you did passed away or lost um, or gone to a better place. And they lose things every day, but they find them again. So it's important to use very kind of concrete language. Um, And it's a way of beginning to have these important conversations that children then kind of are familiar with them through their lives. So death and dying and bereavement isn't something that is hidden away, that is frightening but is part of life. And as they learn to understand it, then they feel more confident and more secure in dealing with it. It's what children don't know they make up and what they make up is much more frightening than the truth because your imagination is limitless. Whereas when you're told the truth, as much as you do know, and there'll be things that you don't know, um, and you can say that, then they can learn to live with it. But also, I mean, one of the things we often don't talk about death and dying with children or actually with adults, but also one of the things that we don't talk about either is that we're all going to be bereaved. You know, at some point there's going to be people in our lives that are very significant to us or even not very significant to us who are going to die. So beginning to understand that the process of bereavement and grieving is a natural process. And for children and adults, it's a sort of movement between having a focus for your grief, feeling sad and crying, 
and then oscillating to being absolutely okay and getting on with your day and that you move between the two and that process of oscillation is how you over time adjust to this new reality that this person has died. Mm. Um, What kind of questions can parents expect from their children and how can they answer them? I think they might ask, um, what does death look like? Um, And I think you would say that someone who has died, they um, are very pale and if you touch them, they're cold. Um, Sometimes you might say that they have blue lips um, and that, I mean, that's probably enough. Um, It might be that you'd say to a child, "What, what do you think a dead person looks like? And they might say, well, is it like the sort of rabbit I've seen that's dead in the garden or... And then you can say yes, you know, because you can use what they already know to build a basis of understanding. Mm. Um, And what about old children? Um, How might teenagers be struggling at the moment? Well, I think what is, I think for all of us to some level difficult is that there has been so much change and um kind of uh, movement and uncertainty that, I mean, you know, for some young people, the Queen will have been significant and the sort of background presence to their life. To other people, they may not be, she may not have so much significance, but it is a big change for us as a nation. You know, our head of state has changed. And so I've heard a lot of people talking about they feel unmoored, they feel rocked, they feel um, kind of shaken. And so young people could feel that too. So doing things that both names what you're feeling, that you feel shaken and sort of a bit kind of nervous inside, and doing things that intentionally calm you and help you feel safe, which could be having a hug, it could be going for a walk, it could be doing something, some kind of ritual that represents your loss, like um, buying some flowers and lighting a candle or, you know, thousands of people with their whole families are going to Balmoral or Buckingham Palace or Sandringham or going to your local church or a place to mark the death, I think, can be very holding, give you a sense of stability when so much around death is actually invisible and unseen and unknown. Mm. I mean, I suppose that follows on from what you're just saying about that a lot of things around death being sort of unseen. But why do we find it so difficult to talk about death, um, especially to children and young people? I mean, when I was writing these questions, I was even sort of struggling, sort of thinking, gosh, because it is hard to have conversations around death, isn't it? Or it can be for me. No, maybe not so much for you because you do it so much. But um, yeah, <laughs> I think it's I think it's two things. I think. Because we haven't, although I think the pandemic, one of the sort of, I don't know if the word is upsides, but one of the outcomes of the pandemic, I think there have been more conversations around the kitchen table about mortality and death and dying than there were before. But before, I think there was a kind of magical thinking that if I talk or even think about death, it will somehow hasten my death or hasten the death of someone I love. And... So there's that aspect of it. And I think our instinct with children is to protect them. Like we don't want to upset them. We don't want to um, them to be distressed. We want to kind of keep them 
away from things that scare us. But actually, I think children learn from the adults around them about what to be scared about and what not to be scared about because they observe the adults around them. And so if we are open and honest and both sad, but also get on with our day, then they learn that you can be sad and grieve and talk about death. And it doesn't mean that you're going to die. And it doesn't mean that, you know, the world is turned upside down, but it's part of life. Mm. I think that's what I was thinking about as well when I was asking about why this might be sort of a bit of a confusing time for some young people, because you could be in a family, couldn't you, where um, one of your relatives is is very sad about the, the Queen's death and then someone's seemingly completely unaffected and to sort of have a family that's kind of reacting to grief, well, or, or, you know, having those different reactions in one place must be quite difficult. And I actually think this is a really important conversation for all of us to have about when a family member dies is that we will all experience our grief differently. I mean, maybe some members of the family will be similar to each other, but um, it's to allow the difference that there isn't a right or a wrong way to grieve. And, you know, that the young person who wants to go out and be with her friends and not talk about it is maybe processing her grief in a different way from, you know, a very upset older sister who wants to stay home and and talk about it. And what informs us is the kind of default coping mechanism that we all develop from when we're very young, and that that will instantly come sort of be triggered by a death. And so it's finding ways to support each other individually, even when we express it and show our feelings um, maybe radically differently from each other. How I mean, it might sound obvious, but how can we support our family members who are sort of struggling at the moment with grief? I think it's a number of things. I think one is to be having these open conversations. So I think often as a family walking and talking together when you're not eyeballing each other, or like if they're in the back of the car, you know, starting as the adult, often with what you're feeling. I know I didn't sleep very well last night, and I think it's probably because I feel a bit unsettled by the death of the Queen, you know, or something like that. And um, so the thing about walking together and being alongside each other, that you, you can have silence and the movement while you're outside can allow you to kind of process what's going on. And then maybe a few minutes later, somebody will say something else. And so often you can, the kind of connection and what you're feeling can evolve through the walk. And then it's really good to go and do something cosy, like go and have a pizza or come home and do something that's cosy together. So you've kind of done the expression and saying what you're feeling, then do something that's safe and connected um, to, to, uh recalibrate your whole kind of family system when it comes to public figures like the queen um how do people grieve differently to say if they were grieving um a grandmother or is there actually no difference well i think each what you're kind of talking about is collective grief that most of us didn't know the queen personally but we knew her from her public position and her our relationship with her as a pub as you know as a very public figure and so we will all have 
put onto her aspects of ourselves. So some people might have put onto her as the kind of mother of the nation who symbolizes the nation, who kind of helps you feel stable as a member of a, of a country and the sense of belonging. And so like during the pandemic, she came and made a speech or, you know, when there's a disaster like the Grenfell Tower, she comes. So there's this feeling of that you have a sense of safety with her and belonging and a relationship with her. But the other thing that collective grief can do is that it, so you may feel sad about her at, at the level of sadness, whatever your emotional investment is in her, but also it can put us in touch with our own losses and our own maybe unresolved grief or our previous losses. And it's important to kind of recognise that you may have one feeling that's about her that's probably not so intense, but it may bring up all sorts of other feelings um, that you're kind of surprised that it's brought up, but but often grief of whatever sort it is, it will go to the same place where we've had previous losses. And other people may feel a bit guilty. They don't feel anything at all, you know, that they don't feel sad. They don't, they're not particularly interested. And it may be that they really valued and respected the Queen, but they just are responding like that. Um, so it's, again, allowing, or you know, there's no one way of responding. Mm. I really relate to sort of what you said in there about the sort of surprise element, actually, because, I mean, I didn't do sort of a great deal for the the Jubilee and things myself. Um, but, yeah, when when the announcement came, I sort of burst into tears and that sort of took me a bit aback, to be honest, because I thought, well, I've never met her. But but it was still sort of, you know, a great shock. And I suppose what you said earlier there about the kind of stability that she gave the country, because <clears throat> um, I've... It's, it's a very strange sort of thing to start thinking about, but I I don't know that it necessarily made me think of the, the grandparents that I've lost, but it's, yeah, it just sort of came from nowhere for me. And um, like you said as well, the sort of waves of grief that you experience. So I had that burst of crying and then I was fine. And then I felt a bit sad again later and it was sort of, yeah, it's a bit of a roller coaster, isn't it? <laughs> yeah. I mean, grief is like that. It is like the weather and it's unpredictable. And the important thing is to let it flow through you, which it sounds like you're doing in that, you know, you, you, what you, you do to, to let it flow through is kind of feel it and name it and express it. And then, it, you know, feelings are there to give you information, their emotions to signal to your body something's up. And if you don't block them, you allow them to flow through you. And as you do that, you incrementally adjust to this new reality that the Queen has died. But the things that you do to block the grief can be the things that over time do you harm. So if you'd kind of felt a bit sad, but then you'd gone and done things to block it, being very busy, had a, you know lots of drinks or something, then that would have kept it sort of squished in you. <laughs> and it may have come out in different ways and be more prolonged, whereas you kind of let it flow through you and then it will flow through you again. And it may flow through you again at different times that you won't expect. But over time, you will adapt and the intensity of what you feel will change. That is really interesting you saying about the business because I did have this intense <laughs> need to clean the whole house the day after, which and I hate cleaning. So it's that was a very sort of strange thing for me thinking that maybe one of the ways I deal with grief is cleaning. Um, but sorry, I'm making this way too much about me. No, no, but I think a lot of people will relate to that. I think 
what's so interesting is that grief is messy and chaotic and unpredictable. And the marvelous thing about cleaning is that you can see the results of your work, you can make order. So you have a sense of agency and powerfulness, you know, power when you're cleaning, which grief is the opposite. You feel completely powerless, it's completely invisible, you have no agency. So it's a kind of natural. Um, response and many people do you know people listening if you find yourself tidying your drawers and wanting to Marie Kondo your entire life um, it's very natural and healthy Mm. and I really loved what you said sort of earlier there about um, finding ways to sort of remember people um, whether it's a public figure or someone close to you so um, putting out flowers or lighting a candle or sort of talking to people um, about it it's yeah, I think those things are very helpful too. There's two aspects of grieving. So there's the kind of recognising and facing the reality of the loss that the Queen has died. She's no longer physically present and getting the support and love and connection that enables you to kind of weather that. And then the other aspect is that the love or affection one feels, maybe for the Queen, but also other people that have died in our life, is the love never dies. So there will be a collective memory, a collective sense of identity and continuing relationship with the Queen that will go on forever. You know, if you think about Queen Victoria, you know, there's a historical story and narrative and connection with Queen Victoria for all of us who who obviously never met her. And so that there's that happens for big public figures, but also for the people in our lives. So that in families, you can pass down stories of grandparents or great grandparents. So recognizing that the love for that person never dies and that continues forever and that you can do what I call touchstones to memory. So you can make their favorite chicken curry or wear something of theirs, or do you know the way you do a particular habit will put you in touch with them. Um, and that's, I think, very important too. It's not over. You don't forget and move on, but you remember and connect. I have a question now, which is kind of about the the total opposite, really, of what I've been talking about, which is sort of people who who were grieving and, were, you know, were hit by the death of the Queen. I, I suppose my question is really, what about children who've, um, who didn't personally feel a connection um, to a public figure, but are being organised by their school or a youth group um, to, comm- to commemorate them. Do you have any advice for parents uh, dealing with that sort of situation? I think it's to acknowledge and let them say, well, I don't really feel anything, but also to be part of something that is bigger than themselves and kind of participate, even if it doesn't have a huge meaning, because they'll be able to go back and remember it in say 10 years time. And it's, we all need to be part of a community and a sense of belonging. Um, so I think it's worth participating, even if it isn't something that is incredibly important to you in the present, it might be a good memory for you in the future. And just to finish up, I've got a massive question. Okay. Um, what should you say? <laughs> what should you say to a friend or family member um, who is really struggling at the moment um, with the loss of the Queen? I think the main thing is to acknowledge it and say, you know, I'm so sorry. Um, And I can acknowledge that they're sad and say, I can really see that you're really sad. And then listen, let them talk to you, let them 
be with you let you know be kind to them and be there over the next coming weeks because if they are really emotionally invested in the queen and really distressed that won't ha- stop you know the minute our official mourning is over it's likely to continue so to kind of be the friend that every now and again just shows up maybe with some soup and a hug and checking in um and it's a sort of loving compassionate kindness is the thing that really helps thanks julia um is there anything that you'd like to add that you feel i might have missed um about that I think the other thing just to say is that it can be very helpful to do two things. One is that often grief feels like fear and we feel it in our bodies. So taking exercise really helps, even if it's only 10 minutes, like go for a walk or kind of move your body around. Going outside is better because I think being outside gives us this feeling of internal space and often grief we feel kind of crunched up and tight inside. But also it might be worth journaling. Um, writing it down, not in a brilliantly, beautifully written way, but just write notes because it's nice to look back on and have a record of what you felt at the time. But also research shows that journaling can be as um, effective as therapy when we're feeling a lot of, of emotions and that that can be a very kind of give us a sense of agency. We don't have to ask or call on anybody else. We could just... Um, pop things down in the notes on our phone or in a little book or whatever it is. So this is goodbye from mentally yours. So go away, enjoy your day, get on with all your chores from mentally, 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 mentally yours. Mentally yours. Mentally yours. If you've been affected by any of the issues we've been chatting about today, please give the Samaritans a ring on 116123. If you've enjoyed this episode, please leave us a review and subscribe to our channel and perhaps even go back and listen to some old episodes. We have many of them. Also, you can get in contact with us. We have a lovely Facebook group, which is called Mentally Yours. And we're also on Twitter at MentallyYRS. See you next week.